Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Stevie Van Zant has written a fabulous memoir. It's called Unrequited Infatuations. And for the benefit of those who will watch on YouTube, my copy is all tabbed up because I poured right through it and loved it. And there's so much to get into. Hey, Stevie, what a privilege to have you on the program. Thank you so much for this. Good to be with you, Mike. I hardly know where to begin, but I think I'm going to begin with my favorite. First of all, you can write, you can act, you can play a guitar, you can program serious XM channels, you can do it all, but you can also write. And here's my favorite paragraph in the book. You wrote the following and, and just indulge me for a moment because there is a question. A few days later, I went for a drive to clear my head. I chose the Palisades, the most scenic of New York's outer arteries After the first few miles, I started to relax. The leaves were turning. Autumn has always been my favorite season. And the quiet hum of the Cadillac's 400 horses made for a smooth as silk magic carpet ride. 
It was as close to a perfect afternoon as I was likely to have for the next little while. The pretty young girl sitting next to me was just a bonus. The only slight damper on the day was knowing that in just a few more miles, I was going to have to kill her. I loved the scene when I watched it. I loved reading about it. And I guess what I didn't recognize until I read your memoir is as emotional as that was from The Sopranos. And of course, I'm talking about you taking out Adriana. I never stopped to think about how emotional it would have been for you and for she as the actors. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really uh, I really despise bullies. Uh, you know, it's one of my one of my things. And, uh, you know, and, and I really hate people who, uh, you know, who physically abuse women. And uh, that was the toughest thing I've ever had to do as an actor. You have to really reach and um, and become become that guy, you know, uh, that that particular guy at that particular moment who you have nothing in common with, nothing. Uh, and, and she, of course, being the terrific actor she is, uh, she was like, don't hold back. You know, it's going to be my last scene in The Sopranos, so let's, uh, let's make it good. And uh, so, you know, you got to beat up a woman for two hours, and it's uh, no fun. I know that it was difficult for Stevie to film it. How difficult was it for Syl? Not too tough. <laughs> not, <laughs> Why not? not? At all. <laughs> because he's a traditionalist and he's a he's a he's a pretty much by the book traditionalist. And uh, anybody uh, and the reason why he's sort of a romantic about the mob, you know, and, and definitely romanticizing the past more than it more than it deserved. But the, the reason why he's constantly kind of living in the past, hence his look, his 50s look. Um, is because you know of, of all of the of all of the modern mobsters ratting each other out, so so um, that you know there's no forgiveness whatsoever for 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 a rat you know and and uh, man or woman and uh, didn't matter that she was just an innocent victim of a, of an FBI sort of sting or whatever it was um, didn't matter to him you know he he's completely ruthless and merciless when it came to uh, uh, protecting the family and, and protecting his guy, uh, Tony Soprano. It's interesting that you say that he was a traditionalist and you remind me of another discussion in the book where we've all, of course, parsed as fans a million times the final scene. But you reveal in the memoir how you were trying to convince David Chase of going in a di- different direction on the final song. And he says to you, no. Tony was a classic rock guy. And like for you, a light bulb went off and you then accepted it's got to be Journey. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's a silly thing to, to argue with the guy who created the character, you know, because you know, you're not going to win that argument, you know. Uh, but but it was, it was just fun. You know, me and David Chase had a lot of fun with that stuff because he, he just loves doing the music. Michael, it's his favorite thing. If that's if that's if, if that's all he had to do, he'd be fine with it, you know. Uh, but he he just uh, that was the, that was the part of, of of writing and directing and producing that he that he loved the most. So, uh, but we had you know we went we went round and round on that one because I knew it was going to be very memorable. 
and uh, and we had a reputation. You know, the Sopranos had a reputation as as just the coolest music. You know, ever ever. You know, one, one of the coolest shows for music ever because you know because David was picking all of these really pretty obscure things. You know, a, an obscure Kink song, uh, a Johnny Thunders, uh, an Otis Redding. You know. Uh, and and not 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 the hits either, you know. So it was kind of a, we, you know, we had this hip hip reputation that was about to go out the window. And, and I got nothing against Journey, believe me. They're the, they're the nicest people in the world. They did me a favor, <laughs> giving me a song. They gave me a song for Lilyhammer, which I was I'm forever grateful for. But uh, you know, it was just uh, it was just uh, such a uh, it was already it was already a big hit first of all, and. and uh, you know, it, was, it just it, it was not going to add to the reputation as the coolest, <laughs> coolest show ever for music. That's all. Aren't you the the living, breathing embodiment of what our mothers told us about how when one door closes, another opens? You talk about how the 90s were for you a bit of a lost decade. And I'm not the first who's read the book to come to this observation. Maybe it was actually leaving the E Street Band when you did, as as crazy as it sounds. But maybe it was ultimately the best thing for you and the best thing for us, those of us who are fans of Stevie Van Zandt. Well, that, that that's how it turned out. And, and that's why I, I hope the book is inspirational that way, you know. I wanted it to be more than just, you know, a, a rock biography, frankly, you know, and, and, and the first half of the book is, 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 is fun. You know, local Jersey kid makes it all the way to the top in rock and roll. And that's, and that's a great story. And, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not in any way ungrateful about that, but the story really begins after that. When, when my life ended, I mean, I didn't change jobs. I ended my life. And uh, and I and 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 then uh, what happens after that is where it starts to become interesting, and and, and the themes, the bigger themes of the book start to emerge. You know, the, the 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 search for identity, the search for purpose in life, the search for spiritual enlightenment, and those kinds of things that I think everybody can relate to, whether they are into music or, or not. And uh, I wanted it to be that. I wanted it to be bigger bigger than just a music story and um and as it turns out everything i've accomplished in my life happened after i thought my life ended uh so i i think there's something interesting in there that people can maybe look at and say well no no matter how big the disappointment in life uh find a way to keep moving forward somehow and maybe destiny will uh will reveal some things that you don't expect Okay, I accept everything you said, but you also made that, those opportunities because as I reflected on your life when I was finished reading the book, what occurred to me was that if you hadn't done the oldies bit, if you hadn't been in Vegas, if you hadn't spent that year of your life, then maybe you're not so gung-ho on the rascals and you're not there to promote them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then David Chase isn't there watching you, calling you, even though you're not an actor, and offering you this role, the lead role initially, in what would become the hottest television show of any of our lives. You you made your breaks, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, you, I was able to, uh, I was flexible enough to, de- to you know, to, to, to deal with them when they came. But Michael, all of those things were completely out of bizarre circumstance. I didn't I plan any of it. You know, <laughs> know. none of it. Uh, you know, <laughs> if I hadn't broken my finger playing football, I wouldn't Flag have been football. in that band. 
that, that yeah, flag football that ended up, you know, that being ended up being the Dovell's backup group on that oldie circuit, you know, and one thing leads to another with me and, and uh, I have very little to do with it. So, so, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want people to get, get this impression that I have this amazing life's plan that I've been following. I mean, it's just not that way. I'm, you know, uh, yes, I, I wanted to make it in rock and roll that part of it. Uh, was all my my willpower and whatever, but that's you know that that only goes until 1982. The the next 40 years have been completely accidental and circumstantial, you know, and, and just you know by sometimes just just by by, by destiny saying okay, but okay, Stevie, let's give I, I think I know I think I know the answer to this question. If I wind back the clock and I give you the option right on, I guess it was the cusp of Born to Run coming. You can stay in the band and we can rewrite your life. Are you taking that deal? Uh, you said born to run. You mean born in the USA, right? Born in the USA. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, believe me, for many years, I've, I've, I, I would have had to consider that, that possibility. Uh, but when I went back and, and really got into my my mind and what I was thinking at that time and the and the you know um I, I have to say things have turned out the way they, they should have uh because if I stayed in the band uh I, would I have become an artist in my 30s and, and done those five records which is now seven records counting the, the two new ones uh would I have become an actor in my 40s uh no I mean there'd be no art I wouldn't be an artist I wouldn't I wouldn't have done Sopranos I wouldn't have done Lilyhammer uh for all we know mandela might still be in jail you know uh, i mean so so you, you got to look back and say well you know as much as i wish i could have done both and i'll always wish i could have done both uh the, the truth is that it, 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 that's not very practical and, and and it probably would not have happened so i think things have actually turned out the way they, they should have so of course, I did Lily Hammer. Our whole family did the three seasons of Lily Hammer. We did all seven of The Sopranos. We, we've done everything you've done, Stevie. But what I learned <laughs> from the you. book, what I learned from the book, because I think of you as, I think of you as like a Philly guy. I can't believe you're a Jersey guy, but close enough, right? I think you as, as being the, the most street smart dude out there. And I laughed my ass off when I got to the conversation about how Lilyhammer came to be. And you're complaining about a Norwegian negotiating style, which involved pretending to be a dumb farmer as a way of concealing strategic <laughs> thinking and a massive ego. And you liked this guy. Can you just tell people who've not yet read the book what I'm talking about? <laughs> well... Um, <laughs> Norway is a fascinating place is all I can say. Uh, uh, you know, they were far, they were literally, uh, pretty much, uh, poor farmers until like 1972 and they discover oil and, and, uh, in the, in the, in the sea there. And, uh, and they become as rich as Saudi Arabia, uh, but nobody knows it. Nobody. <laughs> And, and if you and if you go there, you would never suspect it because they don't spend the money. It's all, it's all in the bank. And I mean, God knows how much is in the bank. Uh, you know, there's potholes in the road. The trains break down. You know, everything's expensive. You know, you, you just can't you, you just can't figure that these guys are the richest country in the world. Uh, uh, anyway, um, 
Um, so I didn't know this when I got there, but but they had never sold a show uh, anywhere, and and um, and so I I I, um, I made this amazing deal because I was trying sort of I was try, sort of trying not to do the show because I had just been a gangster for ten years and I you know seven seasons and I really I shouldn't have done it as an actor, um, but but in the end I just couldn't resist. Uh, you know, whoever heard of somebody starring in, in a, a foreign country's local show? It was just too crazy, you know. So I, I you know, I, I, I'm negotiating, and uh, and everything. You know, I, I said I can't come uh, all the time. I have all these businesses at home, my radio show, my record company. And I got to work every other week, uh, and they were like, "Fine." I was like, "Oh wow!" And then uh, you know, finally, I said, "Okay, I, I got to have fifty percent of the back end," which is like a you know, Steven Spielberg deal. You Tom know. Hanks, yeah. And I figured that's the end of that. And they said, fine. And, you know, and I, I and then I would I would only find out later, you know, I don't want to give the full punchline away, but, but, but I would only find out later that they never had sold a show to any country before, so they didn't care about the back end. There never had been any back end, never, in the history of Norway, you know? So, I, you know, they would, they would have given me 100% of the back end, you know. And then there's, a, there's another punchline that comes in the book. I don't want to reveal. But, but basically, um, you know, they hustled me, you know, pretending <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're like dumb farmers. And they basically hustled me completely. And uh, I've, I've got this and, impression and, and, in my head of like some giant guy named Sven. Right. Looking looking like he just came off the farm or off the rugby pitch. And then there's there's little Steven. Right. And he's rolling you. You should be rolling him. I know. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, they didn't blink. You know, when he when he didn't blink at the 50 percent of the back end part, I, I should have suspected <laughs> something. Right. But I was just like, uh, OK, well, you know, let's let's go. Let's go for it. You know, hey, I'm I'm of but a it, certain age. I'm of a certain age. When you talk about not going to play Sun City, I'm thinking this is going to upset you. I'm thinking of the video, and I'm I guess I'm typical of those who weren't in for the song until there was a video. But thank God you did the video, right? Oh yeah, you know, no, that's the only way anybody ever heard it. Uh, just to just to show our own apartheid, which of course is now revealing itself. Uh, times a thousand but but uh, uh, part of the reason for doing the, the entire project was to reflect on our own on our own country and there it was it was the song was too black for white radio and too white for black radio so we, we got no radio airplay the only time the, the only way anybody heard that song was on mtv or bet you know the, the black entertainment network um, um never got any airplay even even on Stevie Wonder's station, and Stevie Wonder had been talking about uh, one of the few talking about South Africa, because it wasn't really a big issue in America. People, you know, people. I know people find that hard to believe, but it really wasn't. Uh, you know, it was big in Europe, and uh, certainly the United Nations had dealt with it. Uh, but 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 America, it was just not. It was not a big issue. So um, uh, nobody really cared about the issue, and, and uh, musically, it just didn't fit in. I got to tell you, you you pull no punches in the book. I promise, Stevie, I won't give away too much. But the Paul Simon revelation knocked me over because when I think before I got to say this before I read the book, I didn't fully appreciate your role vis-a-vis Mandela. I do now. 
But if you had said to me before I read the book, hey, Paul Simon, what do you think? And I'd say, oh, Jesus, you know, Graceland and all of his work led to Mandela. But you've got a mm-hmm. you've got a pretty big reveal in the book about him. Do you not? Well, yeah, and, and a lot of people, you know, in, in the in the uh, movement, of course, know about it. But uh I was trying to hold the music community together. I did not want us, you know, to have infighting become a distraction. I mean, this was life and death. And, and uh, I was not fooling around. And having ended my previous life, I was all in on this one. Um, Paulie, who I, I, I really sincerely, I actually like Paul Simon. And, and, and we've had wonderful conversations through the years. And I have enormous respect for him as a songwriter. He's just one of the greatest. But on this issue, we just could not agree. And, you know, back then he took, you know, what was undoubtedly, uh, I mean, the only way to, the only way to actually, you know, um, uh, explain it was was a a, a bit of arrogance. Uh, He decided he knew better than Nelson Mandela and the ANC and the people of South Africa. And he was going to violate the boycott and and, and very proudly so, you know. And and so, um, you you know, and I I, I was not imposing my own opinion on this situation. I, I was doing all this research to find out what the people needed uh, and Mandela couldn't speak for himself. He's in jail. His 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 party, the African National Congress, are, are in exile. Uh, the 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 Zanian People's Organization are on the lamb. Uh, you know, so we we chose we we found out what they wanted, and 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 we represented that position, which was was of course the complete boycott, and um and Paulie opposed that. You know, right. And, and, and told and, you and, uh, told you to keep distance from Mandela because Mandela's a communist. That was the part that knocked right. me over. That was the thing. And, 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 and you know, and, and, and in fairness, he, he denies he said that now. But luckily, I had witnesses. Uh, and he mentioned he mentioned mentioned his friend Henry Kissinger, who had told him that, you know, Mandela was a communist. And, uh, you know. And I was just like, you know, don't bring up Kissinger's name with me because he's not my favorite guy uh, for a lot of reasons that we won't go into now. But but uh, anyway, you know, we ended up ended up just just completely disagreeing about this. And and in the end, I didn't want to make a too big a deal of it at the time because, you know, he just became a minor distraction in the end. And, and I we, get it. You know, we we won. Stevie, we won. We won. Stevie, in, in the back of unrequited infatuations you publish your political platform. By the way, when I read elements uh, of it this morning on radio, my producer thought it was my platform. Um, I t- <laughs> uh, and I, I love some I love some of the stuff that's in here. For example, people need to use their real names in social media. Amen. I found intriguing that Stevie Van Zant says, Let's redesign new prisons so the prisoners never come in contact with another prisoner. Every one of these is a subject for a lengthy conversation. But I have to say, I circled this. Sex should be legal. If our ambition is to become the freest, healthiest country in the world, sex should be legal and available to whoever wants it whenever they want it. Sex workers of all sexual preferences should be licensed and protected. And then this is the part that really struck a chord with me when I think about uh, international terror. The inability of most of society to have sex leads to irrational misogyny, inexpressible frustration and dangerous violence. 
Sex being illegal is unfair to the disabled, the introverted, and the socially retarded, which turns out to be most of us. There's more to it, but do you want to expand on any of that? Well, I, I, I wanted to keep the politics to a minimum in this particular book. I actually have uh, an entire political book. I'm halfway through, which, which I'm, I might get out for the 2022 election. Uh, but I want to just give a little taste of my political platform. Uh, I think it, in, in, the, in the political book, it's probably somewhere around 35, 35 separate chapters of 35 different issues. Uh, but I just gave a little taste of it at the end of this book. I didn't want this to be a political book. You know, I wanted it to be about other things. So I just, I just did a little, a page or two for, for conversation pieces like this. But yeah, I mean, the, the sex, the sex thing, I mean, I mean, you, you know, you go to Amsterdam and, and, and it just feels like such a free, you know, there's, there's liberation in the air, you know, and, and you don't have to indulge in the sex or the drugs, the, both of which are legal there. You don't have to indulge to sort of just feel that that freedom. And, and we're supposed to be the, the leaders of the free world. And un, until we until sex and drugs are illegal here, I, I don't think we'll ever be totally free. I mean, we are we are such a uh, we have such religious extremism in our country i mean we are we are right right just right behind you know the islamic fundamentalists uh, you know the the the, Ira- the irans of the world in terms of our the power of our of our of our religious extremism here and uh, we're seeing it now in the supreme court you know which uh, I, I wish joe biden had balanced out by adding six, you know, atheists to the court, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing the evidence of it now, uh, you know, you know, in that Texas decision and, and, and others, uh, but you know, it's, it's just one big hypocrisy. I, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's part of the, of the, of the anti women's equal rights, actually. I mean, women's, uh, women's, instead of using the word abortion, we should be using women's equal rights. Every time we want to say the word abortion, it should be women's equal rights so that people understand what is actually at stake here. You know, women being able to decide what they do with their own bodies. And, and, and of course, men too, uh, whatever, whatever gender, however you're identifying yourself these days. Uh, you know, I don't mean to limit it to just men and women. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, I don't want to overstay my welcome, but I have to I have to close at least by addressing this. You are the world's greatest underboss. And it's a role that you've played for for two very notable figures, right? For Tony Soprano and for Bruce Springsteen. And in the book, you say relative to your acting work, I realized I could use my relationship with Bruce as the emotional basis of Silvio's relationship with Tony, because I knew exactly what the job entailed. I never thought of the role that you played for both as being so similar, but, but please just expand on that briefly. Well, um, well, uh, briefly, my character didn't exist at first. Um, I, I said to David Chase, I feel guilty taking an actor's job. Uh, and, and so he said, OK, I'll write you in a part then. You won't have to take anybody's job. What do you want to do? And I said, I had this treatment of, of this Silvio Dante character who uh, runs, a, runs a Copacabana type of club. And he took it back to HBO, came back and says, no, we can't afford it. We'll make it a strip club. So at first, <laughs> thing. It, it, was just, it was just that at first. You know, it wasn't really well defined. And what's fascinating to me, looking back on it, 
and I'm not even sure this is in the book, but it will be in the paperback because as I discuss this, it has occurred to me as, as thorough as, as David Chase was and, and, and as completely authentic, he hadn't written in the role of the underboss or the consigliere. Some, sometimes it's two different people, right. sometimes it's one. Right. Yeah. But as thorough, as thorough, right, as authentic as he is and thorough as he is, for some reason, that role was not written in to the to the pilot. And, you know, and so here I am. Uh, I come in as, as an unclear uh, member of the family, you know, running the club, but whatever. And, you know, and I think he responded to me and Jimmy bonding off screen because we bonded on the fact that we're both character actors. You know, he's a character actor. I'm a side man. And we and, and that's how we like it. And I think we bonded on that, having both been thrust into, into the spotlight, you know, sort of against our will <laughs> and having having to rise to that occasion in our separate worlds. Uh, I think, we, you know, so I think maybe David Chase picked up on, on us bonding that way. And then slowly, I think by the end of the first season, I had become the underboss and consigliere without ever discussing it, without ever having bitten, been written in. So it was, it's a fascinating little bit of uh, trivia, you know? Yeah, but the point is, you've played that role for Bruce for all these years, too. Well, but that's why I think I was so comfortable as an actor, and everybody accepted me completely as an actor, which is unusual for a musician to be, you know, defined twice by an audience. Right. I mean, you're, you're lucky, lucky to be defined once, right? But to be defined twice like that and accepted twice is a miracle. So I think that's part of the reason, because I was totally comfortable in that role. I knew what those dynamics were, even though the whole circumstance was different and the characters were different, but the dynamics are the same. You know, being the only guy, being the, the main guy that, you know, the, the main guy can trust, being the guy that, that you know, uh, the, the only guy that doesn't want to be the boss, uh, being the guy that, that uh, can bring the bad news to the boss because you're the only guy who doesn't fear the boss. You know, I understand what those dynamics are. And, 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 and you know, they were slowly written into the script by David Chase and the other writers who were just brilliant. Are you sure you're not from Philly? <laughs> I'm the, you know, I was born in Boston, you know, live in New York and Jersey. And, you know, so it's up with the, the Philly, Jersey, uh, Boston connection here. The book is great. I, I hope you can tell from my questions and my enthusiasm how much I loved unrequited infatuations. And I really am thrilled that you were here. So thank you so much for your time. And I wish you all good things. Thank you, Michael. Good being with you. That's Stevie Van Zant, ladies and gentlemen. The book is tremendous. My audience will love it, so go get it. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.